a month on average what's with you scooby-doo reviews a direct-to-video movie this week scooby-doo abracadabra do let's do this what what is this nonsense oh hello and welcome back to what's with you scooby-doo 2010 scooby-doo Abracadabra do. This will be the same year that Mystery Incorporated is starting on the TV. Coincidentally enough, this movie is helmed by uh, Spike Brandt and Tony Cervone. I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right, but I'm assuming Spike Brandt. I'm assuming that one's pretty easy, but Tony Cervone. Cervone. Chervin. 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 Tony Chervin. It might even be Tanai. I don't know. Anyways, these are the guys behind Mystery Incorporated. Also, the guys who are going to helm Scooby-Doo for quite a while. Uh, they they were slated to be a part of, I don't know if they still are, the uh, new theatrical Scoob, which is going to be apparently coming out at some point. I don't know. You can look up all the details of that on your own. But anyways, they definitely take it in a new direction. For sure. And while this isn't part of the Mystery Incorporated continuity in a way that it feels like the Coolsville era of the Scooby-Doo movies might be connected to 
uh, What's New Scooby-Doo, it still has like a very similar feel. Like they've they've upped that sort of dark factor and uh, uh, adultness, which makes sense because also the writing team of this, uh, Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, uh, as well as there's another person, Miss Lee? Can't remember. Didn't write it down. But uh, that's the Batman the Animated Series team. So... It makes sense if this is going to be a little bit darker, as well as the animation is a little bit more reminiscent of that era. But, I might be getting ahead of myself, what is this movie about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Velma's mom alerts the gang that Madeline, Velma's sister, has encountered a suspicious circumstance at Whirlin' Merlin's magical school. Upon investigating an aggressive griffin, the gang find themselves embroiled in a magical mystery, featuring a griffin, a banshee, an old magician, a middle-aged weird ice cream baron, an imposing maid, and a gruff groundskeeper. Can the gang solve the mystery? Will Madeline confess her love for Shaggy? Is Rumblebuzz the greatest name in Scooby-Doo-Doo? Find out. This will also begin the tenure of the animated Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. Uh, up until now, he had only been in a live-action movie. Uh, but this will be his debut ever since uh, Casey Kasem was no longer doing the part. Fun fact, uh, of course, we all know from Zombie Island, Casey Kasem uh, said that he wouldn't come back because Shaggy ate... Uh, meat and he was a vegetarian or vegan i can never remember which but uh in this he has an extra cheesy pizza so i wonder if uh as as i wonder if shaggy's now a vegetarian i wonder if that's a thing not in mystery incorporated obviously he eats clams and i believe a lot of burgers maybe a steak or two can't really remember but i wonder if in the movies that's going to be a thing from here on let's get into this movie the voice of this movie, and by that I mean like the, the the style that it's written in, is very strong. Compared to the other ones, I feel like you know there there were a lot of gags and and sort of tropes used, but the overall style of the movie the, there was no there was no driving force behind the narration and the. Mm, overall structure this one i feel like is the first one since maybe hmm man i i don't know maybe even like uh, cyber chase not so much but maybe uh uh what's the, what am i thinking of alien invasion might have like a strong voice to it at least it has like a point of view this one is the first one in a while where i feel like i mean and maybe that's to the you know paul dini and alan burnett they really kind of bring this this cohesion to the script i mean is it the greatest thing of all time maybe not but i definitely feel like this is one of the stronger ones just uh on, on from a pure uh uh writing standpoint there are some issues i feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of lack of focus in certain parts of it 
uh, while the 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 sty- stylistically it may be a little bit more cohesive, the whole thing of kind of like going to the lake and uh, you know, uh, sort of then having to go to the tower. I mean, those parts feel a little bit like somebody came to the game with this idea and someone else came to the game with with another idea if that makes any sense at all it's kind of like hey what if we do this oh that's great what if we do this oh that's also great uh danny um now we got to put them together well just mash them together and it'll work out oh okay well maybe like a little bit more connective tissue uh like uh, there was a cut where suddenly the gang's gonna go save madeline by the way madeline gets Madeline's Velma's sister, uh, which I think this is the first time we've ever seen not only this character, but maybe, no, Daphne may have had a sister beforehand. Anyways, Velma's got a sister in this one. She gets kidnapped by a griffin, and their sort of threshold that they cross to decide to save her is basically like a cut and then oh, we're going to save her. And Shaggy's already sort of manned up and he's wearing the armor. There's no real like, oh, what are we going to do now? Or like uh, uh, decision-making. It's always kind of like cut, oh, we're going to do this. Which, fine. I mean, I'm not saying it's the worst in the world. I'm just saying it kind of lacks a little bit of, as I said, connective tissue. Which may be my issue. I'm going to stop pronouncing things that way as soon as possible. (laughs) We've talked about Velma's sister, Madeline. Well, talked about. I brought her up. (laughs) The the characters of this are definitely interesting. Uh, The whole castle crew, uh, the, okay, the Whirlin brothers, right? It's Merlin and Marlin Whirlin. Say that 10 times fast. Merlin and Marlin Whirlin, Merlin and Marlin Whirlin, Merlin and Marlin Whirlin, Merlin and... I don't know if I made it to 10 or not. Uh, they, them, the assistant, who is basically just uh, filler, which, fine. The lion, which uh, was always a fun gag. This is my lion. Everybody's hair goes back and stuff when the lion screams in their faces. Uh, the Rumplebuns, <laughs> the... Not to be confused with a Rumplebuns, the Mrs. Rumplebuns, Miss Rumplebuns, which is my favorite name in all of Scooby Doo. That was unbelievably hilarious. Uh, her and that was the entirety of the castle, right? Oh, and then the gardener, uh, the gruff gardener. <laughs> Everything's down here. You know that guy was. <laughs> that guy. I don't know. Rumblebuns and him and Jeffrey Tambor as the cone count or whatever. They were the Mr. X of those characters I thought worked out pretty well. I think I figured out, spoiler alert, that it was Marlon. I mean, I usually make a lot of guesses when watching these movies. Um, and, you know, you kind of go through the thing of like, oh, that's the misdirect. Oh, this is the one who we're going to think who did it. And then they're going to tell us that they didn't do it because they're going to present this evidence. And then they're the one who did it. There was stuff like that. This one, pretty, well, I think once they found that room, which I'm going to back up from that room uh, in a bit. But once they found him in the room and he was like, oh, I make everything and he's the face, I was like, okay, he's doing it. I don't know how he's making this griffin fly around. And I really was hoping that it wasn't like 
he was flying inside of it. I don't mind those that much. I mean, you know, Loch Ness and all that kind of stuff. But I just didn't want that to happen, this one. Like, we've seen that a little bit too much. But uh, I think I knew pretty early on that it was him, and I felt confident in that. Even though they they did the misdirects well. They kind of hinted at why each person should be doing certain things, and they piled up evidence for it. it I, I think the mystery in this one from a writing standpoint was handled well from the writing of the gang, which now this is getting complicated. So the way that the gang tackles the mystery, I did not like as much. Like for example, like Madeline just pulling Shaggy up to that Stonehenge kind of thing. Like there wasn't a lot of gang investigating, which is something that I enjoy to see. I like to see the gang bombing around with flashlights and it kind of happened a little bit when they go to the island and there's the Banshee and stuff like that. Um, also, it felt a little bit unbalanced, maybe, with the Banshee. Anyways, let's let's go back to what I was going to talk about earlier. Uh, something that I really enjoyed in this movie. Velma runs into Daphne uh, doing ballet. She's trying to make herself more... Um, graceful because she's sick of the danger prone Daphne moniker which is this one of the only times where there's just two characters just talking to each other about something other than the mystery who aren't Shaggy and Scooby like talking about food like when is the last time that's happened in a movie that's kind of crazy and it felt it, it it's funny because it felt way more three-dimensional than your average Scooby-Doo. I mean, it felt almost like like jarring when I saw it in this flick because I was like, I kind of, I was like, what's happened? Like, why do I feel different about just watching these two characters talk? And I was like, because I don't know if I've seen it before in this. But I mean, you know, they just talk about how she's feeling and I thought that that was cool. I thought that there was like, a, there was there was some nice character business in this movie um (laughs) them and then they end up investigating so you get a little bit of the flashlight stuff there as they find the hidden door in the gym which i don't know why that gym had a hidden door but that's neither here nor there it was still fun i also liked that they brought back fred's ascot but the like he owns it in this one like in the past we've subverted the ascot by you know, uh, people making fun of it, or he puts it on and he's like, oh, I'm not going to wear that. That looks dumb in Zombie Island and stuff like that. But like this one, like people are like, hey, scarf. And he's like, it's an ascot. Uh, or, you know, the uh, Merlin, Whirlin Merlin makes it disappear and pulls it out of Shaggy Scooby's ear. And Fred's all like, hey, get your hands off that. That's my, that's my bet. I love wearing this thing. Which, you know what? That's great. I like that they... I mean, you know, it's not the traps of Mystery Incorporated, but I like that I like that they subvert the subversion of the ascot, which I thought was great. Feel like I've been hypnotized when I look there are some fun gags in this movie. I think, uh, you know, the maybe the learning magic montage wasn't necessarily... Uh, necessarily necessary Mm, yeah that was about to come out of my mouth and then i didn't stop it so forget that anyways the uh 
Okay, let's start right from the first one. The GPS that's Davatel? I'm also wondering, like, do Brandt and Cervone have, like, a connection to 80s comedians? Although I don't know if Attell... Attell in Black, right? Louis Black is in Mystery Incorporated. Dave Attell is in this. That just seems funny that those two guys... Like, both being that, like, angry 80s comedian both showed up in Scooby-Doo around the same time. It's just interesting. God, I remember staying up uh, to watch Insomnia. Insomnia with Dave Attell on Comedy Central at, like, midnight? Yeah. There are those memories. Also, I remember watching Bobcat's big-ass show, I think, on FX? That would have been long before that. Anyways, yeah, Brian Posehn, another, well, he was kind of much later, but also a comedian. Uh, Another weird fact, uh, when the GPS in the beginning is like, turn here, and they turn into the woods, literally happened to me in, I was driving in New Mexico with some friends. We were going from Carlsbad, New Mexico, to Austin, Texas, and the GPS was just like, turn left here and all there was was desert if we turned left so we just turned into the desert and like it was a not road road like we were driving like by tumbleweeds and stuff like not on cement but on sort of packed sand and somehow it all of a sudden it was like right coming up and we were like okay where do we turn and then it was like oh god there's a road here and we turned right onto the road totally bizarre but that, that that lends some credence and uh, relatability to the beginning of this Scooby-Doo movie. And I was, uh, yeah, I was very appreciative to uh, see myself represented by uh, following the directions of a wacky GPS. Okay? Okay. Moving on. Uh, the other, uh, there was a throwback reference in this. Uh, Seamus O'Flannery, whose castle they're using for the magic school, there was a reference to uh, the Haunted Horseman of Hagglethorn Hall. They're talking about how he brought the uh, castle over brick by brick, which I think they say about 75 times in uh, Hassel at Hagglethorn Hall, where Davy Jones' uncle brought it over brick by brick, uh, which there were also trap doors in it, so I couldn't really figure that out. But anyways, that doesn't that's neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about that episode. Uh, okay, let's get into the mystery of this. So, there's a griffin who's menacing the school, obviously to drive people away. It didn't seem clear, like, it seemed like it was only something to drive the students away and close the school, and it didn't seem like a flannery had a stake in that battle, like, was the concept that the griffin got loose because he was long since dead and could no longer control it with his magic staff? Spoiler alert, all of this is fake. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that really quick. Magic is not real in this episode, uh, in this movie, which, you know what? That was a, that was refreshing. It was nice to have it not real for, for a change. Uh, although they go back and forth on that so often, but I liked that this one, they were like, Oh, yep. We're going back to, we're going back to just everything's explainable in this. Maybe it's a little bit broad, but everything's explainable, but it never seemed plausible in any way, shape or form 
that the griffin was real because there was no like is it what's it protecting he brought it he summoned it i don't know i also couldn't figure out what was up with his sense of architecture because he built he built the tomb presumably he designed his own tomb and this stonehenge area and he always has like complicated ways of getting into the place but then you just walk out the back right like the uh stonehenge thing madeline I think they have to push a button. But then once that door opens, they just walk out the back of it. <laughs> and then that's it. The tomb, the back of it is literally open. They have to go through this complicated spinning stuff around. And Scooby's got to die hard through a door that's closing. And blah, blah, blah. But like, to get out, they just walked out the back door. Which was open. Seems like a weird way to go about designing your your hidden things. I also love this guy's style. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the big house, but I love secret passageways and all that kind of stuff. Man, if I could design a house, there would be so many things where like you'd have to like turn candlesticks to get it in through the bookcase to get to the bathroom or, you know, trap doors that, that lead to slides that lead to foam ball pits. Foam ball pit is opening up for Arcade Fire this weekend, by the way. Very excited about that. Yeah. <sighs> I think, once again, uh, I, I've used this trope in a different way. When I talked about hmm, Goblin King, I said that it felt like Harry Potter, mostly because they were flying on a broom. Uh, but there was a sense of like Harry Potter to this one as well but actually i think there's a broader thing i mean harry potter when i mean harry potter i mean like chamber of secrets harry potter which i think is a trope and i'm not going to get this right my friend uh past guest of the show andrew boldick explained this to me that chamber of secrets and maybe also sorcerer's stone to a certain extent that's a british like uh coming of age Bildgrun's Roman. I'm not going to remember that German term, but coming of age novel, mystery solving, boarding school genre. All those things crammed into one genre. Does that make sense? And this kind of felt a little bit like that. I mean, first of all, they're in the school, they're bombing around, they're trying to solve this mystery. Although ah, solving it was kind of, I mean, they were mostly just fighting, right? Well, fighting. I mean, they were mostly just kind of after the fact, figuring stuff out. Uh, I don't like it when the, when it feels like they're constantly behind on the ball, right? But it did feel like that genre, that like Harry Potter-esque thing. Uh, and also, I mean, it felt like Harry Potter because there were all these like character asides, you know, Daphne doing her ballerina lessons and stuff like that. You know, that felt, I mean, it, it was, it was fun. I liked it. While the third act of this movie does go on a bit long, I mean, when it opens up, Basically, third act, Madeline's kidnapped. Mar Merlin, Whirlin Merlin, might lose the school. And the kids have to, you know, simultaneously save someone and solve the mystery, blah, blah, blah. The, those stakes felt real, earned, and it just went on a bit long. I mean, you know, the, the fight with the griffin went on a bit long, and then... The wrap-up of this, the epilogue was, I mean, it felt like half the movie where, you know, but it did do one of my favorite tropes of all time, which is when they start explaining it and then uh, somebody asks the person who has committed this crime, 
in this case Marlin. Uh, but why? Why would you do it? Because you'd never let me be in the spotlight. You know, I always love it when they finish off the exposition for the gang. It's the absolute best. Uh, the, the third act of this, mm, it works from a storytelling standpoint. I think just pacing-wise, it goes on long. Uh, there was a weird thing where Fred was incredibly strong pulling up Daphne with, like, one hand. Uh, but that was that was interesting. The stuff where it was a combination of Marlin's gadgetry and the original Seamus gadgetry that was left in the place, I don't know if I totally bought that, but it also wasn't, like, the worst. Shaggy manning up. I don't know. I, we've seen this before. Like, it happened in uh, Alien Invasion. And, you know, every now and then it happens. I mean, obviously, it's two-thirds of Goblin King where he's doing that. I'm not the biggest fan of it. But I like it more when it's a gang dynamic. But also, you know what? I didn't totally hate it. Maybe the armor was a little weird. Huh. But also, I mean... <laughs> The end of this movie. There's basically the uh, the ending of that first Michael Keaton Batman movie uh, slash uh, Vertigo, <laughs> uh, with climbing up the tower and ah oh no how are we gonna get to the top to save the person before they fall off? But you know, anyways, where do I where do well man where do I come down on this movie? That is an excellent question. I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the different tone from the Coolsville continuity movies it definitely didn't have a um you know uh uh the dorkiness the dorkiness was there but it, uh, you know it had more of that flair of the mystery incorporated uh tone which I liked a lot uh also D. Bradley Baker is in the beginning how can you hate him in anything he's fantastic I'm going to say I'm going to say three and a half paws out of five. I think that this one I think that this one uh, is rewatchable. I think it's fun. I think some of the Madeline stuff is uh, might be a little bit ham-fisted, but it's fine. And I think the stuff between Velma and Daphne is great. Those montages don't need to be in there, but you know it doesn't detract from the movie that much, you know? Well, I think that about wraps up this movie. If you have opinions on this movie, I would love to hear them. You can get in touch with the podcast and let me know your opinions at facebook.com. So that's what's with you, Scooby-Doo. You can email the podcast. What's with you, Scooby-Doo at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at WWY Scooby-Doo, as well as the same handle for Instagram. If you like the dorky songs that I write at the top of these direct video movies, you can find those at www.ysd.bandcamp.com. They are free to download. Well, this brings us to the end of another direct video review. As always, uh, preen yourself before you breen yourself. I don't know what that means. We will return in with the next Scooby-Doo Scare Camp. Stay Scooby. 
What's With You Scooby-Doo is a member of the Stolen Dress Podcast Network. Visit StolenDress.com to check out our other Stolen Dress podcasts, blogs, tweets, videos, and books.